Our gospel readings today are from the seventh chapter of the book of Matthew. Hear now these teachings of Jesus. Ask and it will be given you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for bread, will give a stone? Or if the child asks for a fish, will give a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? In everything, do to others as you would have them do to you, for this is the law and the prophets. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was its fall. Now, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. May God bless our understanding of this sacred text. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Earlier this week, I had the opportunity to preach at the opening worship service for a Christian writing conference. I picked the same scripture from the book of Isaiah that we read earlier in the service because I thought it contained good wisdom for a room filled with aspiring writers. I told them that the most important place for their names to be is not on the spine of a, a hardcover book or the byline of a magazine article, but the palms of God's hands. I reminded them that their names are already there. Their names are inscribed, engraved, tattooed with indelible ink. They are cherished and loved by God because of who they are, not for what they write. It strikes me that this is a reminder we all need. Your name is also inscribed, engraved, tattooed with indelible ink. And you too are cherished and loved by God, not because of what you do, but because of who you are. That invaluable reminder, though, was not the only reason I chose this text. We may not technically be in exile, but that sure doesn't stop the words of Isaiah from sounding like they were meant not only for the ancient Israelites, but also for us 
in this moment in history. I don't know about you, but my heart has been so heavy in recent months. Our nation is in crisis. Many have argued that Christianity is in crisis as well, as churches clumsily reckon with external change and internal dysfunction. Responsibility has been shirked. Trust has been shattered. We are hearing more and more voices from a generation that has come of age in an era of mass shooting after mass shooting. To borrow a line from Anne Lamott, it sometimes seems that things are so bad, we must be driving Jesus to drink gin straight out of the catfish. The exile cries, the Lord has forsaken me, my Lord has forgotten me. Does it feel sometimes like God has left the room? quietly backing out while we argue about politics and theology and whether or not people should be allowed to buy semi-automatic rifles. Maybe so. So for me, the words of comfort in the book of Isaiah actually kind of burn. I found that I hate when people tell me to take a deep breath in moments of crushing panic. And I hate when prophets tell me to sing for joy in times of utter despair. But there it is, adjacent to the words of lamentation. A clarion call for the heavens to sing, the earth to exult. Divine comfort and compassion are ours to claim. Despite any and all evidence to the contrary, we are not forsaken, we are not forgotten, we are not alone. God is doing God's thing, and we are invited to trust that. But the good news doesn't stop there. God is doing God's thing, and God is also expecting us to do ours. Your builders outdo your destroyers, Isaiah says. Your builders outdo your destroyers. In this peculiar and painful exile from civility and integrity, in this time when the destroyers are destroying with unprecedented cruelty and hate, I told that group, of aspiring writers, that writers might just be the builders we need. Not just any writers. We need writers who have a vision of restoration and redemption. We need writers who aren't afraid to use a word like love because they know it casts out fear. We, know, we need writers who aren't afraid to use a word like justice because they know Cornell West was right when he said, justice is what love looks like in public. We need writers who aren't afraid to use a word like sin. But writers are not the only builders we need. 
We need the photographers who have been traveling alongside the caravan of asylum seekers in Mexico. Reuters published a photo essay this week featuring several children of this exodus. In one photo, twin boys sleep with their limbs entwined, one resting a small hand on the cheek of his brother. In another photo, a father washes his daughter's hair in a river. And in another, Yolani, a one-year-old, cries. The caption explains that she cries because she is hungry. These photographers are builders, all right. They are builders of compassion in the hearts of those who might otherwise have nothing but contempt in their bellies. We need builders like the teachers and students at Field Park Elementary School, where my daughters spend many of their days. Last week, the whole school gathered in the gymnasium to observe Veterans Day. The children celebrated brave soldiers with songs and speeches and poems. Just as a woman cannot forget her nursing child, a nation cannot forget the men and women who have served and sacrificed. Witnessing such tender patriotism and such purity of heart was a gift to all who attended, most especially to the many grandparents and neighbors and friends who are themselves veterans. Teachers and students like these are builders of hope in a time when our country is drenched in animosity. We need builders like Sarah Miles, who spoke to a rapt audience at the Arts Club of Chicago on Thursday night. She talked about a theology of accompaniment. A theology of accompaniment. We can never claim that God is for us, but we can always trust that God is with us. She spoke of how this theology of accompaniment inspired her to organize churches to come alongside people of color in San Francisco who are grappling with immigration raids, police violence, and a broken education system. Now usually this looks like affluent white citizens showing up to bear witness to the suffering of their black and Latino neighbors. She told an anecdote in which one judge said, why are all these white ladies here? Last weekend, it looked like black and Latino neighbors showing up for Shabbat services at the local Jewish congregation, returning solidarity for solidarity. They never expected to be given the opportunity to show up for their neighbors the way those neighbors had shown up for them. Sarah noted that there is an enormous difference between being frightened and alone and being frightened but not alone. So she and her companions are builders of community in a city otherwise riven by race and class and religion and politics. 
In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus drops that line we love, a precept we have gilded for the ages. In everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. And then he goes on to speak in the metaphor of the moment. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. I don't even know what to say right here because those words stand on their own. They do not need the interpretation of a preacher. If we are interested in being disciples of Christ, if we trust that the most important fact about ourselves is that our names are inscribed on the palms of God's hands, if we believe that the golden rule is indeed a worthy ethical framework, then we need to pick up our tools and get to work. We need to build faster than the destroyers are destroying. Perhaps you've already discerned your tools like the writers with their pens, the photographers with their cameras, the community organizers with their theology of accompaniment, their willingness to follow Christ to the side of all who suffer and despair. But if you don't yet know what your tool is, you'll figure it out. That's the amazing thing about tools. There are so many of them. You might even ask, seek, knock, prayerfully discern how you are called to be a builder. It doesn't have to mean stepping out of the life you're living. God is really good at using the materials on hand. After all, God crafted us from the mud of the earth and the breath of his lungs. If we ground ourselves in the love of God, open ourselves to the wisdom of Christ and surrender ourselves to the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we will marvel at how many opportunities we will have to build compassion and hope and community. I once heard a preacher say, that whenever anyone complimented him on a sermon he preached, he responded with this jujitsu brilliance, tossing the compliment back as a challenge. Good sermon, the parishioner would say. His response? Well, that remains to be seen, doesn't it? May it be so. Amen.